Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Good evening, everyone. I want to welcome you to this online Good Friday service, and I'm so thankful that you've tuned in, and this is a unique opportunity for us in all kinds of different places to gather together and to worship the Lord as we remember what this week, and specifically this day, is commemorating. And I pray that this service is humbling time for us, but is also a hopeful time for us as we consider the impact, the global impact and the personal impact that Christ's death has brought about. And that in anticipation for what we celebrate, Calendar Resurrection Sunday, that we would just stop for a moment in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of everything going on, And just consider all that Jesus has done on our behalf. And so I want to encourage you to get a copy of God's Word, whether it be a phone, a hard copy of the Bible, whatever it might be. Turn with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And we're really going to look at two specific locations in Scripture, John 19 and Hebrews 10. And some sprinkled in passages, texts from other places in the Bible. And we're going to be asking what one primary question that I'm going to reveal to you after we read in John 19. And this is in the middle of the crucifixion account. And really near the end of Jesus' actual crucifixion. In John 19, I'm going to start at the second part of verse 16. It says, so they took Jesus... And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, 
Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Father, may this time bring to us a recognition of Christ's sacrifice. A humility as we walk through this life. Knowing that it is only because of what Jesus did that we have any hope. Pray that this would be an encouragement to those listening. That your scripture, your word, would transform and challenge us to make us more like your son. We pray this in his name. Amen. It is finished. What is? That's the question we're going to be asking tonight. These specific words, and really one word in particular, to test, to tell us die, to tell us die, it is finished. What is? In the midst of all that's happening, when Jesus speaks this word, what is finished? Biblically, what is done? What is this referring to? And what hope can we grasp from this statement that Jesus made right before he died? Well, the meaning of the word tetelestai has several different terminologies and meanings that can be interpreted. One example of that is as a servant to their master. I've completed my task. The work assigned to me is finished. It's done. It's accomplished. Another example is as a priest in regards to the sacrifice. It is without blemish. It is faultless. It is finished. It is final. Another example would be that of a merchant. A debt has been paid in full. It is finished. It is completed. It is done. The debt no longer exists. On this particular word, scholar and statesman John Stott wrote, It has been and will forever remain finished. Jesus did not only finish the work but it never needs repeating or improvement. And as I was considering the depth of this word and even the terminology, it is finished, I couldn't help but reflect on a season of my life when I was in Bible college in Chicago. And during my freshman year, you required to take Old Testament and New Testament survey. And these were phenomenal classes, but the workload that these entailed was insane. And one portion of this is throughout the semester, you had to write a various amount of papers that were required to be 15 pages, single-spaced. 
and to be a summary of certain portions of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, as you would write these papers, you had a couple different camps of people. You had on one side a camp of people that would schedule things way out and they'd plan and kind of work bit by bit, piece by piece to get it accomplished. And then you'd have another group of people that always seemed to wait to the last minute to get it done. And they were literally running to uh, the, the office they had to turn their paper in before the door was locked and they were unable to do it. And yet, regardless of what type of scheduling people determined to take, when you were finished with one of those papers, it was done. And there was this relief. When you typed that last word and you proofread and you printed it out and you held it in your hands, you went, it is finished. But it falls short of encompassing what this specific word entails that is that portion of my education was finished but it was not somehow final and that no more papers were going to need to be written no more study needed to be entailed i was finished with one aspect of this but it was not indeed completely finished from that point all the way into eternity and yet when jesus speaks this word tell us thy it is finished. It truly meant it is finished. But more specifically speaking, biblically speaking, what does it mean for it to be finished? And I want to give you three specific examples of this. It's three specific answers to this question. What is finished? The first thing that is finished is Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission. When he says it is finished, he's speaking to the mission that the whole reason, the whole purpose behind why he came in the first place. It is finished. And throughout Jesus' ministry, there's a consistent theme where he said, I've not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, the will of the Father. In John chapter 4, verse 34 it says, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. In John chapter 6, verse 38, it says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And Skipping a verse and moving to verse 40 of John chapter 6, he says, For this is the will of my Father. And some of you may be asking that. Jesus, okay, you came to do the will of your Father, but what is that? What is the will of your Father? And verse 40 of John 6 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus' purpose, Jesus' mission was to do the will of His Father. And the will of His Father was to take on a task so great 
that at the end of this test, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. It is finished. It is done. Jesus' mission is accomplished on the cross. Atonement has been made. Justification has been brought about. And even though in the full scope of things the disciples and the people around didn't quite have the full concept yet because Jesus is now dead and they're reeling from this and they're going, what, what, what has happened? This is not what we had in mind. Jesus recognizes in the moment before he takes his last breath, it is finished. The second thing that is finished in this moment is the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about what is the Old Covenant? What does that even look like? What does that even mean? And what I can encourage you most is to go back to the Old Testament and read the richness of God's established order within the nation of Israel. Read the book of Exodus, read the book of Leviticus, read Deuteronomy, read those books as God lays out how the people are to live in a way that they can be counted as righteous. And the depth and the structure that had to take place and all the laws that were put in place and this translated into the very reason that the religious leaders of the day were so frustrated with what Jesus was saying. And yet when Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, it carries over into this idea that the old covenant is abolished, it's removed, it's gone. The sacrificial system of the law was finished under Christ. No longer is there need for consistent, constant spilling of blood to atone for sin. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus himself says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, here's where I want to direct your attention to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And there's so much rich truth that applies directly to this and carries over from the crucifixion narrative and all that's taking place and the hope that we can grasp and understanding the contrast here between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And in Hebrews chapter 10, specifically verses 11 through 18, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see there the extensive nature of the finishing work of Jesus on the cross. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Those who are becoming more like Jesus. Those who have believed and are being transformed. Verse 15 and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, 
I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is so powerful, so rich to understand every process the priest had to go through and day after day offering more sacrifice because it was never complete, it was never enough, it was never finished until Jesus in that moment that he says it is finished he accomplished once for all a sacrifice and where there is forgiveness of these through Christ there is no longer any offering for sin there's no offering needed because of what Jesus did it is finished now this brings about the reality of the third thing that is finished through Christ the third thing that's finished through Christ is our certain death justification is finished in Christ This comes back to the core of the gospel and Romans 8, 1 speaks directly to us when it says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is, if you are in Christ, then the sins of who you were no longer have power to condemn you because Jesus has atoned for, He's paid the price for those sins. It is finished. It is done. And our doom of being condemned eternally to die is vanquished in Christ. And the work of Jesus, when He says it is finished, He says the price is fully paid, it's fully done. They don't owe anything. But as we remember, the will of the Father was such that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. Who looks on the Son, who looks to the cross and understands the finishing work that took place as Jesus breathed His last and gave up His Spirit. Now, what are the power in these words and the power that comes through these words and where we should glean our hope even as we consider the suffering Christ endured, willingly endured, so that He could say it is finished What power is there in those words? It is finished. And that is, there's now freedom because it is done and we are no longer in chains. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. 
says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. Now, pause for a minute when you consider the impact of that in the the imagery that is being portrayed here in Hebrews is directly correlating to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, where it says, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Not only was the literal curtain torn in the temple, that which divided the holy place from the rest of society. But now, specifically, every person has the opportunity to step into the holy places because it is finished in Jesus. Verse 21, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance that it is finished. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When Jesus says it is finished, the curtain is torn, the barrier is removed. So that in Christ we have full access to the throne of God. We can come before Him in prayer. We can come before Him and seek forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That isn't possible without the cross. Without the finishing, final work of Jesus. That's not possible. It's freedom to walk in newness of life, no longer bound by my state of sin, no longer imprisoned by my flesh, no longer destined to die separated from God. It's finished. Warren Wearsby shares about an eccentric evangelist named Alexander Wooten. And Alexander was once approached by this flippant young man who asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Wooten replied, it's too late. And then he went back to his work. Obviously perplexed and alarmed, the young man said, do you mean that it's too late for me to be saved, he asked? Is there nothing I can do? Too late, said Wooten. It has already been done. The only thing you can do is believe. Now, as we process and think through this, I want to challenge you tonight to consider what this means within your context in your life right now. And many of us struggle 
with this idea of it being finished. So we're constantly trying to do more to validate our own insecurity of, is it really finished? And while we may have never put the, those words to it, that's what we're doing and that's what we're asking. Is it, is it really finished? And so tonight, we're going we're gonna to transition to a time of just response for you at home right now. And so I want you to get a piece of paper and everyone in your home, I, I want you to get a piece of paper and a pen And this is something between you and God. This isn't something you have to share with anyone. You can do so if you choose, but it doesn't have to be that way. And in just a moment, we're going to have a special number, a special music number played. And during that time, I want you to do do two things. The first thing is I want you to write down the thing in your life that you see brings the most condemnation upon you. That is that you feel the most guilty about or that you feel the most convicted about. And maybe it's something in the past. Maybe it's something that has nothing to do with today. Or maybe it does have to do with today and something that is just hidden and hasn't been dealt with. Or maybe it's who you are at work or who you are at home and a difference that takes place there. Whatever it is, whatever it is in your life, I want you to write that down. Past, present, whatever it is. And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to look at that, whatever it is. And then I want you to imagine Jesus on the cross. And Him reminding you as He takes His last breath, it is finished. There's so much power there. And he's not saying that it is just finished temporarily. saying, in me it is done. It is vanquished. There is no condemnation. I want you to hear him speaking that truth. And so grab that piece of paper. Grab your pen. Write this down. Reflect upon these promises and their application today. And then we're going to come back and we're going to join around the Lord's table together and take communion as we seek to look to the cross together. Father, as we do this now, may you be glorified and may you challenge our hearts in Jesus' name.